A game of rugby takes 80 minutes. That's 4,800 seconds. But it only takes one to win a scrum, to steal a line out, make a break and score a try. One second for a hero to become a legend, for one team to become champions. And it's their line-out that creates the opportunities to score their tries, and that's exactly what happened. He goes wide, and he finds a winger. Oiderman, he's faster than a bald man's haircut. Oiderman, and he gets the try. What a heartbreaker. Welcome to MLR Kickoff, episode 104, with your hosts, Pete Steinberg and James Patterson. Yes, finally, finally, <laughs> there is a new king. Dan, Dan Powell, unfortunately, is not, is not with us um, today, but finally... Well, he's I, still with I, us. He's still with us. He's just he's not still with, with us today. He's still with yes. us, but he's not here on the podcast. We have um, uh, James Patterson, who, who from what, from, you know... Is just generally better than the rest of us at all of this stuff. So um, we have we have James Patterson with us today. So thank you, James, for joining us. Oh, awesome! It's a good episode to be in on as well. Looking back at twenty twenty one, huh? Yeah, that's right. Now, now is is uh, is Pat Clifton going to get jealous? Like, like, I have you told him? Did you clear I, this with Pat? Well, I think you know Aaron did the right thing today. Is just leaving too short of a runway for me to be able to accurately communicate with them. So it's always best to ask for forgiveness. And in this case, I'll just ask him for forgiveness. Now, now, to be fair, you guys have one of the best um, video podcasts on the Rugby Network, um, but I can't remember what it's called. What, what is it called? Inside the Ruck. Inside the Ruck. That's right. Thank you. Inside the Ruck. So definitely something you should check out. Um, and uh, uh, well, thanks for joining us. I had... I had a really interesting day or evening, James, and I'll, I'll share with you. I had my first day of coaching rugby in four years. So I retired really? from yeah, the U.S. women's national team in 2017 and have basically stayed away. And today I went and coached um, my daughter Penelope's under eights team. Um, it was generally a disaster, uh, partly because... <laughs> I don't think Penelope understood what we meant when, is it okay if daddy goes and coaches the team? <laughs> because I think she assumed that I would be coaching her. But when she called for the ball and I passed it to another girl who also called for the ball, it ended up in this huge meltdown and with her leaving the field <laughs> crying and my wife wasn't there and I couldn't console her because I was coaching. I don't think it's going to happen again for a little while. So I enjoy. Are you it. like? Are you like Roy? Have you seen Ted Lasso? I yeah. have seen yeah. Ted Lasso. Are you like Roy <laughs> as a coach? Are you like Roy as a coach? I am just like Roy. Just, so you go into like broadcasting, Roy. and then you don't want to be involved in broadcasting because you've got That's too right. much That's of a passion. Go back, go back, back into so, it. Yeah, we could definitely talk Ted Lasso um, for 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 part of this show. Uh, a, a big a big fan of that. Um, no, I'm 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 a little bit more. Uh, um, uh, fun 
maybe didn't really count. <laughs> like, so it was it, like it, I have to be said. So so this is Superior Rugby Club. Um, Chris Hansen, who's the former um, manager of the US Eagles, runs it. Does an amazing job. There's like U8s all the way through high school. Um, like you know, I think there were three or four teams practicing when we were there. They do a great job. And honestly, um, my daughter started playing for a little bit in the summer. Went to practice, and the coaches there were amazing. Like rugby was her best and most fun sport. Like she would choose rugby over anything else. And then I coach, and now I'm not sure that she's going to actually want to go back to rugby. So <laughs> there's probably a lot of women out there who've been coached by me who are like they can understand what Penelope's going. <laughs> so anyway, anyway, that was my day. How's how's your day? How's how's your life been since since the season? Um, a bit empty, huh? Weekends are a bit. I found myself a bit longing for something to replace it. I've got a little kid on the way, so instead of that, I've been doing nurseries and getting rooms ready and. And reading dad books, plenty of dad books, learning how to well, dad. Well, you know, con- congratulations. This is your second, right? Yeah, second. So any any day, any week could happen. Oh. Could happen oh, in the wow. middle of this. So I apologize in advance if I have to go shooting out the door. So oh well, actually, so um we have we have a friend who just gave birth on the back of a pickup truck in the parking lot of the hospital. Really? Yeah, yeah, in, like, in the parking lot. It, it, it was like almost got there, almost got there, but, <laughs> but but not quite. I I haven't quite heard the whole story, but I got that text, so it'll. Are be they going to name? Yeah, no. Is it a boy or a girl? Will they name a ram if it's a boy? Was it a Dodge Ram? <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it was actually a girl. Oh, that's so, unfortunate. You so can't it, call a ram. Yeah. No. So anyway, James, great, great to have to have you, and of course, tonight's banter is brought to you by shopmlog.com powered by the rugby shop and i know we're in the off season but there's still deals on there there's end of season deals you can still get your team's jersey and outfits there's still some stuff that go there so got get there onto shopmlr.com so lots of actual mlr action this past weekend james just not an mlr game um i'm sure stats boy will tell us but i think it was like 26 or or 28 MLR players that, that yeah. participated in the um, in the USA, Canada, and Canada pulled off the shock, um, beating the USA 34-21. First time they've beaten the USA since 2014. Um, first of two legs, which means that the USA have to beat Canada by 14 points this coming weekend in Glendale. And I will be there to watch that game. So did you, Matt, did you get a chance to watch that game this past weekend, James? I didn't get to watch the whole game. I saw a little bits and pieces of it and then obviously caught up with it afterwards. But you know, talk about, you, you talk about MLR's influence. Well, but Canada, they had 11 hours players on the roster and they, they fielded three first-time cap players. I think the Spencer Jones started in the back line and, you know, interestingly enough, what is it? What are the statistics? The last 12 meetings, they've won 11 of them in the US. So it's been on kind of a roll ever since I left. Yeah. That was kind of, that was the departure point. When I stopped playing for the US, we stopped losing to Canada. So, so. Um, we can mark the inflection. Yeah, that is the point. That is the point where things changed. And, you know, it is a hostile environment playing in Canada and some of these places. It's, it's, in the past, you know, playing at places like Kingston and obviously when they had the game in this last weekend, you know, the conditions weren't great. There was a win there, but I think just Canada made fewer mistakes and it came down to the end of the day. I think it wasn't 
pretty by any means, but they did enough to come away with a win. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's there's there's a lot of reasons why Canada has traditionally played the World Cup qualifier in Newfoundland. St. John's, um, one of them is it's impossible to get to from the US. Like, <laughs> like it always takes two legs. Like, like you just can't get there in one, like it's just terrible. Um, hostile crowd, long trip um difficult conditions and those are always great equalizers right so the wind you know you if you're the better team you want perfect conditions and 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 if you don't think that you're the better team then you want worse conditions but i actually think canada were the better team on this day i mean we saw gary gold come out and be really disappointed i mean the u.s were absolutely dominant in the set piece they like their scrum was was killing canada um and their line out looked excellent and they just didn't take the opportunities they had in the first half. And then the second half with subs, it all fell apart. Like they literally couldn't win a line out. I yeah, mean, it was, that... it, was, it, it was not good. And then, you know, the other thing I would say is that I think that, that, you know, Canada tried to play a bit more rugby. You know, the U.S., I think, have, have played, you know, a relatively conservative game. You know, they're using the box kick. Uh, the, the loss of Cam Dolan was huge. Right. Um, and even Mika Kruse and having to put Nate Osberger on the wing and not having him to be able to provide yeah. a little bit of like spark off the bench. I think that was big. But yeah, I mean, you know, and Canada had two yellow cards in the first half, which is crazy to me. So, yeah, yeah, they had the two yellow cards in the first half and it was able to stay what was it 14 10 at halftime. Right. And if you look back on the game, there was what there was the there was the offside penalty that would have led to a try in the second half. Then you had the held up over the goal line. So we saw our first held up over the goal line. That's right. Out that, for USA Rugby. Isn't it crazy? Ball. I mean, so, so, so now, just for people that are listening net for now, if you hold the ball up over the goal line, instead of it being a t- attacking five meter scrum, what you get is you get a drop kick from under your post, from your line, from, from your line. Right. And so, um, you know, the, the idea was from World Rugby is that there's way too many, like there's 15 pick and goes and everyone's trying to do pick and goes and like it's just not not great rugby. So we'll just make it less, um, you know, we'll incent the attacking team to be more, to play with more width because you're more likely to hold the ball up when it's close. But, but you're, you're, you're dealing from defending off your goal line anyway. So you're always in a, a, it's not a great, it's the worst position on the field to attack wide from right, anyway exactly. when you're attacking by the goal line. So by virtue, you're going to attack close around the rock. And now I, I just wonder, like, if, is it really going to have the impact of people going, I still think you're going to bang it into the corner. You're going to drive them all across the goal line and you can go for it because you're going to get the ball back again and you can just repeat the process. So I don't yeah. know if it really changes much. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I also think that, if, you know, as a coach, maybe I start coaching a little bit differently around the, the goal line, right? Maybe instead of stopping someone getting over the goal line, maybe we teach people to grab them and pull them over the goal line and not let them put the ball down. Yeah. Right? Like, because then you're going to kick and then, yeah, you've lost the ball, but now you're going to, you know, the, the, the next attacking line is on the 22. Right? Yeah. So, yep. so I, I just, yeah, I mean, I mean that you're right. That's the first time that we saw it. Not, I'm not a fan of, of, of the law change. I get why they did it, but I mean, big, big win for Canada, big win for Kingsley Jones. And they're going to come into Glendale with their tails up. It's not beyond the U S to be able to win. Like if you go back and you look at the scores, I think about half of their wins have been more than by more than 14 points, but 
you know, it's going to take some, yeah, it's probably going to take a little bit of gameplay. You know, big, big issue was AJ McGinty came in late and was on yeah. the bench. So obviously, you know, world-class 10, not having your world-class 10 was a big loss, but he wasn't able to change much when he came on because the set piece wasn't functioning by the time he did. It'll be so. interesting because that is that you, you talk about preparation leading into a rugby world cup. It is very not ideal preparation to have to go through the repertage process. If you look at what you're trying to do towards building towards a World Cup, so they have this 13-point deficit to, to make up. So essentially, anybody that's listening, they come in, it's kind of like the FedEx Cup in golf. The person who's coming into it has, you know, however many strokes head start on the competition. So they have to win and they have to overcome that points differential. Obviously, if whatever team wins, we'll go through and play Uruguay next. And then the loser will have to play Chile. And then that pushes your World Cup preparation right through to 2022. And that's generally the time where you want to be preparing and scheduling those tougher test matches to kind of prepare yourself. But then again, it might not be the worst thing because then you don't have to be in the same pool as the All Blacks at the Rugby World Cup. So, right. I mean, that's the thing. Is yeah. it's, it, it's Again, America's two has a better pool than America's yeah. one, right? So, Maybe they're doing this on purpose. Maybe Gary Gold's got yeah. something up his sleeve. Yeah, I don't think so. Like <laughs> no. the way he came out and talked about it, I don't think so. But no. it does set up a, a great game this weekend. Like I said, I'm going to be going down there. Um, it'll be me, my wife, and Penelope who gets to see her rugby boys if she still likes rugby. I'm hoping, hoping that she does. There are still tickets available, and there's also a uh, 20% discount available right now. So. Uh, if, if there are people um, in the Colorado area listening that still want to go, should be a great game. I mean, it's been, a you know, it, it'll be one of the most pressure-filled games the U.S. has played for yeah. a long time. Um, yeah. and, and Canada, right? So, like, if Canada blow this, it's going to be a huge blow. Um, uh, but, you know, like I said, they're going to come in with some with some, with some some real confidence. And uh, I know there were some, you know, questions about selections. There's definitely some questions about you know, some of the Pacific pride players in the Canadian team. Um, so yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be really, really, uh, um, it's going to be a great game. It'd be a great, my only hope, and I have to talk to Yvonne about this is please you take Penelope. I watch the game. Most of the time when I go with the kids to watch rugby, I don't get to watch the game. Like, like they're running around everywhere. I'm like, no, this is a game I want to watch. It's a big game. Um, and so I think maybe some candy to keep Penelope up till like nine o'clock or whatever it is when the game ends or eight o'clock. So, all right, well, that's, uh, um, that's great. So, you know, um, James, while you are here, um, we thought that we might do a bit of a review of the season, talk a little bit about the teams and in particular, how we think, what, what we think they need to do to improve this off season. So we're going to go in reverse order. Um, so not a huge surprise. Well, I guess they haven't been lost, but again, bringing up the back end is the Houston Sabercats. So James, what are your thoughts about the Sabercats and, and, and how they played this year? You know, they had some good games, like they, they, you know, they, they played, I mean, I think they played the Giltinis pretty close, right? Yeah. For a while. Yeah. Um, but never seemed to be able to put it all together for a full 80 minutes. It was interesting. You know, I think I've had a few conversations with some people that were involved in this. Uh, and it's interesting because statistically you look at them and you look at the Seawolves and we'll talk about them a little bit later. If you go through some of their games and look where they were, they were a lot closer. The statistics were a lot closer than the scoreline. So 
there, you know, in teams is sometimes just those little things that click. Like it didn't really help at the beginning of the season with some of the injuries they had coming into it. But they had some real bright spots this season. You look at like the impact of Bellicano on the wing. You look at the emergence of some of the players, the way they're able to bring players up through the HTX Academy. Like it was all there. It just never really gelled. And this is going to be one thing that I talk about, we can talk about, and it's a question to you, is that when you bring in, and Healy's a great guy and a, and a good coach, but there, where's the difference between like a game plan coach and a really technical skills coach when it comes to your side. So did they have that really technical skills coach in there that could come in? Cause Healy's a really good game plan coach, but within that coaching stuff, did they have that technical skill set coach that was able to, you know, reduce some of those errors and, and tweak some of those little things that could have been the difference in some of those games? Well, I, I mean, I think it's interesting. I actually think, you know, despite Houston being the bottom, they're only winning two games. Like they showed that they could play. They weren't yeah. consistent. I think, you know, as outsiders, I think we sometimes miss the injuries. You know, these teams don't have a lot of depth. So they have, you know, some guy that maybe we don't know much about gets replaced yeah. by some other guy we don't know much about. But actually, it's a big drop off. Right. And in particular, in the injury room, I thought Houston didn't have, you know, they lost Fortuny for a chunk of the, the season. And, and that was a real loss for them. They, they weren't as solid in the set pieces they have been. Um, but I think what's interesting about your comment about the technical coach versus the game planning coach is when you look at the teams in MLR, I think that you need that balance because you're going to have some like real studs from overseas and, and US studs, right? So you're going to have some real good studs, but a chunk of your team is going to be made up of American developing players, right? They're not yet top level, right? And so, and so that's interesting. It's an interesting question because I know, I know he was def definitely a game planning coach, um, but I think you do need that that technical side. And, and yeah, it would be interesting to know if if in that staff. The, the other thing I would say is I don't think um, I don't think that Houston abused Sam Windsor in in under three coaches the way they really should. I think Sam's a, a great ten, and I think he can play with the defense in his face. But they've just played such a deep line that they've you know they've wanted to go wide. They've, they've, they've used lots of blockers and that kind of takes away um, kind of takes away from like his ability to play up in the face of the defense. I'd like them to see a lot flatter, get over the game line a little bit quicker. Um, you know, uh, you know, at one point I think they had three number eights in the bat line, but they're still not playing flat and getting over the game zone on the bat line, the bat, yeah. bat row, you know? So it's just like, I, I feel like that they were trying to play a game that didn't, didn't fit them. Um, but new director of rugby, I mean, doesn't get much better, right, than Maya from, um, you know, former head coach of South Africa, um, brought over a guy that he worked with at the Bulls, right? So um, Pote Human. Um, so they're going to be a very different team again, right? And so, so there is a challenge. Great bringing in this quality, right? I'm sure we'll see some guys from South Africa that they know that they'll bring in. Maybe one or three or 10, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, you know, but it's going to be really hard because that turnover is going to happen, and you're going to have other teams that are more settled, right? And so there's not a long preseason in MLR. There's not a lot of games that you can get. And so it'll be really inter interesting to see how Houston starts. And, and how do you bring in the – so you look at – they use 30 – I think it was 38 players or 39 players this year. So when you're thinking as a new coach coming in, you're like, I'm going to have 25, 32 players. Yeah, I'm going to go for my 32. So he's, 
he's stripping down the roster and he's looking at everything outside of this because everybody else is gone, really. He's got no real connection to those guys outside of that first group. And it might be really difficult. It's a tough ask for him coming in now and, and basically having to get up to speed with the wider bubble for them as well as the players he has direct control over. So, Yeah, I mean, I think that's right. And and so so I think that's right. And I think that that's why this isn't a one-year turnaround. Yeah. Right? I mean, I I think you don't bring in someone like this to be like, oh, can you turn this around next year? Um, I think you bring someone like this to say, hey, look, this is three years. Like you've said, Houston have a great facility. They've they've one of the first teams to have a real developmental side. They've got players coming up through that. They've, They've got a lot of good stuff going. They just need some continuity in that coaching and they need some continuity in really building a squad. So it'll be interesting to see how they do. Now let's get to the, the team that you mentioned just now, the Seawolves, which was sort of a, a team of two halves. Yeah. Like, is that what they are? A team of, a team of two halves of the season? Like terrible the first half, change of coaching, lots of potential in the second half. Yeah, and they, they went through more players this year than anyone else. 48 players they went through. 48. So just think about it. And, and they were the most surprising to me because actually, like if you go back through the statistics in Major League Rugby, they were pretty good on a number of, in a number of facets of the game. They did. They created line breaks. They couldn't finish much. Yeah, they, they probably missed, missed that that clinical finishing ability, being able to put teams away and then use momentum early in those games when they're able to make line breaks. You know, they fielded some massive packs too. I think they fielded a pack at the end of the season was the heaviest pack for sure. I think it was what, 950 kilos or 960 kilos outweighed the other competition pack by like 150 or something like that. So it was outweighing them by like two, just, just double everything James said for the, for the American listener. Right, just double everything, and, and you pretty much got pounds. It's two point two, but if you can just double it, it's pretty good. No, I mean, I mean, I think, I so I think what's what, what was really interesting. Look, you know, I've seen, you know, we've watched the Seawolves play. I've I've felt like, you know, the the glue of that team is Shlom Sunula. When he yeah. plays, they play well, and when he doesn't play, they don't play well. I think that, um, you know, they found a fly. Maybe they found a um a a, a replacement for Shalom in uh, um, uh, Alatimu. Seemed like a great pickup. He's now signed yeah. on um, for, first, you know, like, like they just missed some, some of that, some of that glue on attack that could really like move that back line. But, you know, yeah. I mean, look at foodie, like, you know, here, here's a guy that was playing local club rugby comes on and what he scores three tries. And like, I mean, he is Plays everywhere. Everywhere yeah, in the everywhere, back line. Right? They play playing the centers, 12, 13. Wing. Yeah. I mean, this is yeah. a talent that was just playing in Seattle rugby. So um, I think the, the fact that Alan Clark is, is opening doors like that, I think it's going to be good. I think they're going to be a handful next year. I mean, it looked like they had a really good game plan. It looked like, you know, when they played Utah um, and they, uh, um, uh, you know, moved. Um, uh, what's the scrum half? I kind of think of his name. The Seattle Scrum Half, the big South African. JP Smith. Thank yes. you. Yes. I'm like I'm like AJ. AJ, no JP. When they moved JP Smith to ten, everyone's like, "What's going on?" But actually, it was his left foot, and they completely yeah. destroyed the back three attack of Utah. I'm like, this is a coach that knows what he's doing. 
Like that was that yeah. was tactically really, really sound. So I'm really excited to see what they do in this offseason and very excited to see what they do next year. And, you know, I think the Seawolves are going to be a team to watch. Um, let's talk about a really, really interesting team, the Arrows. I mean, longest road trip on history, right? Was it like three World Cups in a row? I mean, you've done a yeah, World was- Cup. That feels like forever, right? Imagine they were times. They're away from home for a very, very long time. And it, it just I just think it's unprecedented. I, I honestly I don't think you can really take if you're if you're looking at the arrows next season, I think they're gonna have some challenges because if you look at one thing, it wasn't it it wasn't a perfect experience down there. So it, the mood wouldn't have been great towards the end of it. And I'm sure they're gonna have some players that are probably looking at this last year's campaign. It's probably not the best experience in their rugby career. And they might have some recruiting challenges in terms of retaining some of their players that I'm sure will be, because there's a lot of good players in that Arrows side that'll be up there on the top of the list for a lot of MLR sides in the States. So they're going to have some challenges retaining some of their players. It'll be interesting to see, you know, how they change the makeup of a, either their coaching staff or secondly, uh, the dynamics of players they relied on South America quite heavily. And some of those players are kind of getting older. You saw De La Vega, just, he was one of the best loose forwards in the competitions, just gone over to France. I think he's a huge loss for them, but they also have players coming back in guys like Jamie McKenzie coming back from injury. He's a good leader. Will he be, you know, player coach? What influence will he have on them next year? I just, it, it was remarkable what they're able to do this season. They put together some pretty good performances, but it was just, you know, the chips are stacked right against you and you're in that situation. You just can't escape rugby. There's no escaping it. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree with you. I think that just the whole, like the fact the Arrows played so MLR could have a season, I felt like they were just sacrificing. Yeah. Um, you know, they, they didn't get a lot out of it. They could have absolutely, and I think even George Killebrew said this, he was kind of half expecting them to call, you know, a phone call from, from Toronto say, hey, we're just not going to go this year. And he was like, would have completely understood. So, I mean, I don't think that we can, you know, share enough thanks to, um, you know, Chris Silverthorne and and his staff and and all of the players. I I think they did learn some things. I mean, they don't quite have enough depth in the back row. You know, I I mean, they really ran that, you know, De La Vega um, and, uh, you know, all of those guys were just, you know, they were just running to the ground, right? I mean, yeah. they played 80 minutes every game, so you just can't do that. And the other thing I think that's interesting, which I think they'll solve, solve this offseason, is that they probably had the smallest pack in the league. So they were never really able to generate go forward. They were so good on the front foot still, right? Even with everything going on, you know, you could probably go back and look at, you know, the top 20 tries of the season and the Arrows will have a few of them because they play so good off the front foot, right? Their backs, forwards and backs interchange so well. But when you don't have a big forward pack that can get you some go forward ball and get you onto that front foot, it puts a huge amount of pressure on your first phase attack. Their scrum and line out wasn't great. So all of that stuff, I think, I think was there. But, but you're right. I, I don't think there's much that you can judge them on. Um, I think we can just say thanks. So um, let's, let's move on to a really, really interesting one. So the next one up here. And, you know, we're now in sort of like the middle of the pack, right? So the middle of the pack. So... That's the San Diego Legion. So, so the Legion have already made um, some changes there, right? So they've um, now, you know, I saw uh, Danny Lee appointed as head coach 
and director of rugby. And my understanding is that um, Zach Test um, was let go. Uh, I'm not sure about Scott Murray. I haven't heard anything about that. Scott so Murray like, is employed as forwards coach. Okay, so Scott okay. Scott Murray is, is is retained. You know, we always wondered about this co-coaching. I mean, yeah. it seemed like a bit of a gamble. Um, but this was another team that were just just hammered by injuries, right? And just weren't able to get out from the injury bug. Like every time someone came back, another one went down. So many long-term injuries. But what's your view of the San Diego Legion and their season? You know, it's almost like a tale of two seasons as well because they kind of kicked on towards the end of the season. They actually looked like they could push for a playoff spot and they they lost, they lost dropped that tough loss against the Guiltinis. It was a heck of a game at right. a Torero Stadium. And one would have felt if the momentum was behind them at that point, they could have, you know, the, things were stacking in their favor where they still could have potentially made the playoffs. But let's look at what they were able to do with some of their signings and the impact that, you know, Lutz made in the midfield. He was one of the best midfielders in the competition through the second half of the season. Marani, these guys, they're able to, I think Tian Lutz, wasn't he playing up in uh, Milwaukee? I think it was, was club rugby in Milwaukee. Yeah, club rugby. Yeah, he was let Milwaukee. Go. He's, he's one of those guys that was like, let go by this, like the Sabercats. Yes. Saber, being let go by the Sabercats, there's like half a dozen guys that were let go by the Sabercats that started as another team. It's unbelievable. Yeah. But yeah, unbelievable. He was, it was a great pickup. And yeah, so he I'm, was, yeah, their midfield was fantastic. They they started playing better rugby. You know, Peterson started playing better. He didn't play really that well at the start of the season. And and they just I think they were able to to figure out their game plan some more. They just they just struggled. They couldn't get ahead of the issues they had early in the season with some of their injuries and especially to some of their senior players. Yeah, and I, I think they're a really good example that like if you don't start the season well, it's really hard to get back. I mean, Joe yeah. Peterson had COVID. Um, they had injuries like Nate Osberger was out, like was, was, was knocked out and, and he was a huge loss. I mean, I just, they were a team that on their day were probably as good as any team in the league, right? They could be like, they could absolutely, like you said, they had a great game against the Guiltinis. They could yeah. be on their day. They would stand up to anyone. They just didn't have enough days like that. Not enough times when they had their best squad out in the field, really hard for the coaches to, to stand up to that. You know, you, you just look at Robshaw, right? Robshaw was the big signing coming in, hurt his shoulder, came back, hurt his shoulder again. Like no, yeah. no impact for, for a big investment for the team. So um, we'll be interested to see what Danny does, like former All Black, um, been coaching in Japan for a while, coming from Honda. It's interesting to see a number of these guys now coming from Japan to Major League Rugby. And I think it's a little bit because MLR is... A better for some reason, I think it might be a better shot window for for the other leagues around the world, particularly in the southern hemisphere. We've seen a number of coaches from MLR go back to New Zealand um, and Australia and get Super Rugby. Positions. Well, you have to go somewhere else because there's, I mean, there's not a lot of co coaching positions available in the southern hemisphere. So the, you know, you've got to fight. So you've got to develop somewhere else. And you know, it's good seeing some of these guys come over. You know, Darren Coleman, he's gone back down. I think that the, these guys coming, there's there's two views on this. Some people look from the outside and they're like, ah, you know, it's not great because they're just using this to repel their career. But yes and no. You know, what's the mark of a good coach, a head good head coach? Is how many assistant coaches underneath him become head coaches at some point in their league? Whether that's them leaving or not. So you've got Hoyles, you've got these other guys that are underneath him that will go on to become head coaches and they will take that learning and it's just perpetually passing this on down the line. So I think, you know, even if guys are here for a short period of time, we're lucky to have them, and I'm sure they're making a positive impact on the league. 
Well, okay, James. So we've got a problem because I think like we're like 30 minutes in and we're through four teams. So this might be the rapid fire ever, or we're going to have to pick up the pace. This is, this is when you have two coaches talking about rugby. That's why Dan's okay. lack of knowledge of rugby is a great foil <laughs> for either of us because he just doesn't add that much to the conversation. But so let's, we'll, we'll speed this up a little bit as we, as okay. we go through. So, um, and also give some respect to the teams that bottom third of the league Still need to spend some time on them, and I think I think I think we've done that. So so let let's get some quick hits going. Um, so let's talk about Old Glory. So tell us a couple of things about Old Glory that you think um, you know uh, what they did well, what they didn't do well, and what they need to do in the off season. They they struggled with depth at the loose forward position when they had some injuries. I think it was apparent they had one of the best loose forward trios, and then through injury or suspension that hurt them. Uh, not having Jason Robertson out in the field, you know, definitely hurt them. It, just another one of these teams. It just, it didn't click for them. And, you know, if it would have, they would have been a lot more competitive. Yeah, I think, I think that's right. I mean, Robertson, that, you know, again, early on in the season, out, they lose a couple of games. But, you know, that's the difference between at the end of the season, them being out of it and being one of the teams in the playoff hunt, right? So yeah. just... um I think I think you're right. I, you know, depth is 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 so important in this league, and um, you know, I, teams can't afford to have, you know, to pay too many good players. I think that's why the draft is becoming more important, and I think that's why local rugby development is going to be more important. Um, Old Glory could definitely play with everyone. I love they played off the cuff rugby better than anyone else. Really struggled, I think, a little bit um, in 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 playing in a more structured attack, in particular. Uh, but um, yeah, I think they're a team that, that can compete. Now, a really interesting team next is the AGs. What a turnaround from the doormat to a playoff contender. Didn't quite do it, but what did you take away from the AG season? Sammy Harris, very good coach. Very, very good coach. <laughs> yeah. uh, that's probably right. Some really just, yeah. Some good signings, being able to match you know international experience with youth. They're able to profile youth players. Look at Connor Mooneyham, yeah, draft pick, placed what twelve of the fourteen games. Probably one of the best, apart from Guerra in the league in terms of his impact on the first season. So they had youth, they had experience, and then they bring in Lachlan McCaffrey at the end of the season, the best loose forward in the competition for the last few weeks. He was fantastic, just really good, and just. Uh, it, there's something about them, yeah. It's it's the Knox effect, if you call it. It's just <laughs> a little bit of pizzazz. So I think they do one of the best jobs off the field, and they've done one of the best jobs on the field, turning around. Yeah, I mean, it, it was interesting because they really like had a very strong defense, but they really had to grind it out to get points. Yeah. Right? They just weren't able to generate enough points. They had a great set piece, really good scrum, um, you know, good kicking game. Right. And often it ended up having three fly halves with, with so their ability to play territory, but weren't able to generate enough. And if you talk to some people from the AGs, what they'll tell you is that, you know, some of the less experienced players on the squad meant that they probably couldn't play as a sophisticated attack yeah. as they would like. Um, and that made them just slightly easier to defend, but they were right there at the end. And I think, you know, when you look at the journey for, for you know, Austin, like this is the first step, right? You know, they were they were the doormats of the league for the first few years, and now they've got a team that can compete. And and maybe yeah, they don't you know haven't had the firepower this 
season, but I think they'll get better. I actually think that there's like, I think team, you know, players like Domakina like really grew a lot this year. And I'm really excited to see some of these younger, younger US players continue to develop under Sam Harris. So and that midfield now, the break is heading there. So you've got the USA oh, yeah, midfield. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. that's so a that's big signing. Right? Um yep. also breaking heading there. That's gonna be that's a big pickup. I mean he's a little long on the tooth, right? What is he, 33? He's still good enough to be playing international rugby. He's still so. good enough to be playing international rugby. That's true. So he'll be uh, he'll be a good a good pickup for them. Let's get to to a really interesting team. Let's get to the Free Jacks. Really good at home. Yeah, what they were able to do. Yeah. <laughs> really good at home. Very good at home. Yeah. So basically, I think that's that's the main point. I you know, I would say you know, they generated some of the slowest ruck ball in the league on attack wasn't the flashiest thing, but they had, you know, they did Dougie Fife, the Fife effect in their back line. So every time you got Dougie Fife in the back line, put him anywhere, he's going to give you game line. And you know, they did, they did well, but they were really, really strong at home. They just didn't put it together on the road. Right. Which, which is, which is sucks when you have so many road games early on, right. They were playing yeah. catch up. Like, like they were, them and Nola were like at the point where you're like, you have to win every game. The different difference was that every game that Nola had at the end was away. And every yeah. game the Free Jacks had, had at home. What's interesting about the Free Jacks is that when you talk to coaches around the league, they were often the number one team where people are like, the best team we've played so far are the Free Jacks. Like, I think there was a lot of respect about how they played. I think they played good rugby, but I think you're right. You know, I think that, you know, I think losing Ryan Martin was, was I think that was a loss because I think that another year with him, I think like people, you know, you and I are both coaches, it's gonna. It takes you a while to really develop the way that you want to play with a team to like create the intuitive reactions that you want. It doesn't happen in in one season. But they've recruited well. I think they've got some stud players. So I think best kicking, yeah, best kicking yeah. team too in yeah. the league. Attacking yeah. kicking team in the league, and that that was solely due to Martin and his. Right. You know, he spends a lot of time on that stuff. So. Yeah, but I think it's I think it's big. We'll probably see a lot of attacking kicks down in the Rebels, um, in the Super in the Super Rugby League, right? Okay, now into the top five. Let's get to Nola. What's your thoughts on Nola? Really impressed. Look at their Ford Pack. Look at the domestic nature of their Ford Pack. Probably one of the most domestic Ford Packs in Major League Rugby. Uh, you know they had. They had a few internationals, obviously, in the back line, and they had some in the forwards. But the way they're able to bring um, good local talent through is really impressive. And then you've got the leadership of, of course, Dolan there. But they again, they had a hard time because they played away at the end of the season when it mattered. They had a brutal away stretch at the end of the year. And you know, I was down there for a couple of games. I think the new, the new setup at the stadium, they started to get good crowds in there. It was a fun atmosphere. You know, they played some good rugby. Uh, you know, I can't, I was really impressed with them. Yeah, I, you know, I think Nate Osborne's potentially like my coach of the year. I mean, I think they had a full back line that was out for at one point. Yeah. You know, they just, and and they really couldn't generate, you know, I think Nate is an, a, is an attacking coach. He loves to play a wide open game. I think traditionally over the first three seasons, you know, Nola's been one of the best at first phase attacking teams. Like they just score quickly. They don't do any of that this year. Like it was grinded out rugby. It was 14 phases, pick and goes. 
Um, so to make that adjustment, I think, I think was good. You know, they almost pulled it off. They almost pulled it off the, at, at the end of that run. It was really unlikely. That win in LA. What about that win? Yeah, yeah. So that's 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 a memory that I think those players will yeah. will have. But I think you know you can go back and you can look look at a couple of the games that got away when they were at home. I think there was what the eight seven game against Atlanta. Yeah, like like you know, there's a there's a game that 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 got away from them that they were playing at home. I mean, it's always going to be a tough game. So I mean, I think I think you're right. I, like I love what um, Ryan Fitzgerald is doing down there in terms of being US based. It hurt them right when they had um, all of those players away, but you know they were able to pull it off. Shows you what a what a great great culture it is. Um, all right, let's get into the uh, let's get into the playoffs. Rugby United New York, so made it into the playoffs. Um, had a brutal game against um, ATL. In, yeah, in the, who they previously the had beat earlier on in the season. That's twice, right? Yeah, and um, so that's important. This playoff series, both both teams that ended up winning ended up winning against teams that they lost to throughout the season. So, right. um, you know, so so I'll, I'll take you know. I think Rugby United was interesting. They're, Another very very good uh, defense, right? I mean, they they had you know Greg McWilliams like step down during the preseason. Um, you know, uh, Marty Vili stepped up and did I think a pretty good job. Um, yeah. You know, again struggled to generate some attack. Didn't look like you know you know lost you know lost their fly half right for half the season and then he had to leave for the playoff game. Um, yeah. So, you know, lots of, lots of challenges, but overall, like, you know, a team that you could just tell had a strong culture, um, you know, players really wanted to play that a great pack, like a really, really good pack that, um, you know, again, had actually a lot of American, American flavor to it. So, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I liked, I liked what they did, just weren't quite able to generate the points that they needed. But I think a lot of that comes from not really having, you know, a 10 that could really finish the, finish the season for them. They had by the arrows, the most difficult navigation of COVID. I mean, they couldn't train at public facilities. So you, you look at what they had I, to I, I do. I would say San Diego might say, Hey, look at us. We had yeah, to travel okay. to Vegas. So. Yeah, that's true. Sorry. Sorry. I just, I view Vegas as a good thing. They don't. Yeah, so. That's right. <laughs> no, so, you know, they, they had challenges. They didn't have a consistent field they played at in terms of a stadium. It was hard to get local fans around them. And then you look at the challenges they had trying to, I think they went through something like 30 or 40 different venues trying to find somewhere they could train because of the restrictions in New York and how tough they were. So, you know, put that aside, difficult. I just look at one thing from the season is the Andy Ellis effect. The Andy Ellis effect. Yeah. The guys, the guys shouldn't still be playing. I, I look at him. I played with him ages ago and he was old when I played with him and he's still playing. And, you know, his, his ability to be able to just bring you to, you can talk to anybody there and they'll talk about the impact of his signing this year and what it meant to them as a player to learn like the off field culture parts. I think that's what allowed them to be successful this year with all of the chaos off the field is having a little bit of that, that's X factor within the locker room. Yeah. And I think, I think it's like, like I said, you, you could just tell that that's a team that had a strong culture and, yeah. and I agree. Everything I've heard about Andy Ellis was great. And I, I met him when he was like 19 and trying to break into like the Canterbury side. So 
So that was my first. So that means you're cover. even older than both of us because I just no, made an no, old joke no, I'm about definitely older. Definitely older than both of you guys. So, all right, let's get let's get to um to the Utah Warriors, a team that finally was consistent, and their consistency was pulling games out of the bag right at the end. That's what they Houdini's. did better than anyone else. It was crazy. Houdini's. I I just yeah for me they're like they're the model program in terms of what they've been able to do on and off the field. You know they've got a great US based coaching staff. I have so much respect for you know, the entire coaching staff they have there, what they've done off the field, the crowds. I went up there so many times. Great stadium, one of the best stadiums to play in Major League Rugby. Great fans. And they just, they did a really good job, uh, you know, of being able to have the Mike Teo effect, the Mika Kruse effect, where they would just rob games from you at the end. And that's just that never quit attitude they had. And there was one conversation I had early in the season. I was talking to Pets about, you know, their defense. And in the past, they've been quite physical on defense. You know, the Warriors were always known as the guys that get up and smack you and make dominant tackles. And I had a conversation with him about what he was doing before the season. He says, no. So that's not a KPI at all for us this year. Zero. Dominant tackles wasn't a KPI for them. Successful tackles behind the back line. And it was those little tweaks that a guy like that brings to it really took a team that has always had so much potential on the field and they were able to deliver it. Well, I mean, I think I think you're right about I think there was a Teo and Cruze effect, but I think their strong finish was that they may have had the best depth in the front row of any team. Like, you know, Paul Mullen didn't didn't start many games. Like Angus yeah. Mullen was keeping him out, and Paul Mullen's the starting tight head for for the US, right? And I think the you know that that depth was good. Like, I mean, where did Michael Basker come from? I mean, we know he came from Nola. He was the impact sub with the crazy hair at Nola, but man, that guy came out as like the growth that he's had. And I think, you know, Sean Davies, I'm sure has had an impact there. You're right. I mean, I, I, like, you know, I love like, you know, Kimball Carr and um, all, all of his staff there, you know, Brandon Sparks. I mean, they've, you know, and, and if you talk to everyone there that, you know, they're like, yep, yeah, we made the playoffs that great, but it was never about this year. Yeah. Right. It's it like, like, like good teams always like, it's always part of the journey. And, and I'm excited. Uh, you know, they played great rugby. They played with great width. It was, it, it was a great, it was a great team to watch and an easy team to pull for. Yeah. Um, let's go to um, ATL, maybe a team that's not as easy to pull for. Um, so, uh, you know, I love them because they play the defense that I love, right? Oh, um, I just, you know, I love that in your face defense, they play as well as everyone else, but it does kind of destroy the game. Um, really interesting you know, um, coming through the end of the season, some interesting selections that they made yeah. right to the end around, you know, who was going to play fly half, you know, but can't argue. I mean, they went on that run. They, they, they had a rough start. They, they had a couple of losses. They were down. They had a, you know, I, I know they had a player meeting and, um, you know, I think the players went to Scott Lawrence and was like, don't be such an asshole and, and like relax a little bit. And uh, maybe not quite, all right maybe not don't be such an asshole, but like, just like relax. And I think Scott gave the players after that a little bit more freedom and they went on this great, great run and, you know, it allowed them to manage themselves into the playoffs. So I think that management into the playoffs is what gave them the edge with New York in that semifinal. So what are your thoughts on ATL as I've just like told you mine? No, I, I think you agree. I mean, they, 
you knew what they were going to give you. They literally played the exact same game plan every single week throughout the season, regardless of who they were playing. So it was, it was they were going to kick the ball deep into your territory. They were going to put a bunch of pressure on you, force you to make a mistake, give away a penalty, take the points or bang it into the corner and use their mall to drive over. And it was effective. You know, I think one thing that we we probably haven't talked about is the impact of a guy like Steve Brett coming out of Glendale and coming into the environment with Scott Lawrence. He was kind of the yin to the yang in that situation, and he brought a little bit a little bit of that skilled position. Their kicking game was very good. I think they did a good job defensively. They're good in the back line, and they looked dynamic when they did attack when they had guys like O'Keefe in there. Now, well, I mean, like O'Keefe, another cost off, right? A cost. I know he should have been in there. <laughs> right and and now was injured i mean they had a lot of injuries i mean, I mean you know we're talking yeah. about this every team i think you know you can look at it but you know you're you know you're starting fly half and you're you know your captain and center out for most yeah. of the season it was a little bit of a scramble for them to get but yeah i mean i think they can be proud i'm sure scott lawrence again is another one of those people that says you know it's not just about this year but a coach that it was about this year Let's get to the Giltinis, the champions of Major League Rugby in 2021. What's your take on the Giltinis? I mean, I wanted to play for the Giltinis. Who didn't? <laughs> I mean, if you've ever spent anyone that played them and, and felt their culture and what they had, you know, they have a special thing going on. I think you know, for a team that not knowing uh, coaching staff coming over and not knowing what the situation was going to be, they were transplanted in Hawaii and then they came back and they played in these crazy venues. It, it all could have got too big for them, but it never did. So they, they did the right things off the field. They had the most talented roster. You can talk to, when you talk to coaches overseas, they're like, I felt like, you know, that roster could have competed in super rugby at the back end of it. And, you know, they could, they had a lot of experience. They did a good job with the domestic talent they had there. They were able to, you know, get some good players. And I just, you know, when you, when you were able to see, it's easy to have good chemistry when you win all the time as well. So that's just, that's just preface that. So anyone at the bottom of the table is thinking, oh yeah, that's easy when you win and yeah, you know, you have all the possession, but they did things right. I think a lot of those senior players that came over, like, thoroughly enjoyed this experience more than any playing experience they've had. And then when you take that, you take that positive mentality to uh, these guys that have this immense leadership and skills on the field and, and through osmosis, it just gives this calming effect to the whole roster. Like Adam Ashley Cooper, watch him in the final, watch him in any game. Like he's out there and he just brings so much composure to the defense. They're back three being a back three player. I would have loved it. You never had to tackle. He was so good at pushing the defense and organizing thing. The fullback never made a tackle. So. I mean, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, look, they were, I mean, they're a really interesting team to me. Like, like when you look at them in the final, they did what they always, always do, which is they have a couple of purple patches. They score a couple of tries really quickly. Yeah. And then, you, you know, it's hard to catch up because their defense is so good best tacklers in the league, right? I mean, I think that's, that's what we say. And, you know, what, what's interesting to me is when you talk to some of those experienced players that were part of the Giltinis, you have to remember they came in, it's the first time they've ever turned up in a professional environment and being like, there's no team before this. Yeah. There is no co culture that you're building on. You literally have to create it from scratch. And that sounds, so, so in some ways that's good, right? Because then you can, like create what you want without any of the history, but there's a lot that you need to create within yeah. an environment for it to work. So, so, so yes, winning helps. 
Um, but you know, they had a couple of bumps along the road, like like we talked about the Nola game and stuff, and 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 they could have had some some issues, but yeah, I mean, I mean it's gonna be very interesting to see what they do next year. Um, you know, new coach, right? So assistant stepping up, um players gonna come back, you know. So I think the um could be. Yeah, could could. Be. I mean, I think I think Adam Ashley Cooper's like is he formally retired? I think he formally I think retired. He, I think he. I don't think anyone's ever formally retired after seeing the MLR signings that have happened in the last few years. So, uh, you know, <laughs> but, but it's, he's it's probably retired. Probably um, Matt, retired. Yeah, probably retired. Matt Matt Guido appears to be a, maybe a, had such a good time, maybe more open to coming back. So, um, so it'll be interesting to see to see what that that team is. I mean, I have to admit that. You know, when I heard that they were going to play in the Coliseum, I rolled my eyes. I'm like, oh, what a stupid idea. But actually, it's a really good place to play. (laughs) You know, um, and, you know, I I just think the uh, um, Adam Gilchrist and what he's done with Austin and what he's done with LA, I mean, he can, him and his team bring a marketing approach that I think is a bit unusual, a bit edgy, but it's what probably MLR needs to kind of break through into some of these markets. So, Congratulations to the Guiltini. So what let's 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 just generally what, what were some of the surprises of 2021 for you, James? What are that some a, of the, that, that a hooker wasn't the leading try scorer or was he? Did Malolo <laughs> finish as the leading try scorer? It was his second behind Cottrell. I think he might have been second behind Cottrell. Regardless. Yeah, yeah, I can I, maybe I, I should I rephrase it. And I'll and I'll pull it up. That, that, that a back wasn't the leading try scorer in major league rugby. There was so many so, tries scored this year. So leading try scorer in the season was um, DTH. Yeah. Second was at 11 was um, beyond Besson. So two wings leading try scores. That is interesting. For Wasn't Cottrell on 11 tries as well? Well, I think Cottrell's on 11 tries if you looked at the playoffs. Oh, okay. So, so in the season, he had nine, but then you had yeah. Dylan Fawcett with nine. Um, uh, Samuel Malolo with nine, so so it's 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 actually not bad. Like like it, it's not dominated by the hookers the way it go. was in in the past. So so that's good. So so let me let me go with one surprise, and then we'll come back to you for another. So my surprise is that we got all the games off. Yeah, ninety nine. I honestly didn't believe that was going to happen. I thought there's yeah. got to be some cancellations. You know, M- MLR is a startup. Like we don't have the resources of the the, the, the you know mate. Of, of the real major sports in the US, like they're not in a bubble. And I think that says a lot for like, you know, the individual choices that players make, right? I mean, that's that's basically what it comes down to in COVID is, you know, and we've seen this. I mean, Rob Shaw ended up being suspended for the first few games because he made a poor choice around the Barbarians, right? It's about yeah. individual choices the players made and players chose to, you know, follow the rules. So the fact that we got, you know, as, as the commissioner said, I guess a hundred no, right? Is that what we ended up with? So I think it was 99 yeah. no heading into the final. So I think it was 100 no. Like every game was played. I think one game was delayed by one day because of COVID. But other than that, games happened. So I think that's a, that, that was a huge surprise for me. Yeah, it was unreal. I think the ability just from a logistical standpoint, knowing and, and having a team not play within, you know, a few weeks of starting the season as well. That was a big thing. We didn't talk about, you know, the Jackals, they that had an impact on scheduling. They had to rejig everything and they were able to get everything off. So I think it was huge. Another surprise to me, look at how dynamic and attacking the entire season was and how many points were scored. The two lowest points totals in MLR history in playoffs were this year. 
that in terms of oh, points scored. So you, yeah. yeah, so you had Atlanta and Rooney, 19 total points in the semifinal, and then LA and Utah, it was 30 total points. So those are the two fewest amount of points. So it shows you, I think if you look through the competition too, and look, I think the East was a different story than the West, but look how many close games there were. Um, right. A lot of high scoring games, not much defense played it there early on in the season, but I think, you know, you look at that, look at the way the season finished with these teams. It shows it was very competitive. No, I think that's great. The, the, you know, the final, final surprise for me is that MLR has a kicking game. Yeah. Like, it, it, like, like this is the first year where teams were actually using tactical kicking, whether it was attacking kicks or distance kicks to manage games. Previously, you could kind of run it from wherever you want. I think it's a little bit of a sign. Like we've seen the better teams have better defenses and the better defenses that you had, um, the, uh, uh, you know, the more likely you are to kick, right? So that's likely. So I think that the growth, like to me, there was a huge amount of growth and also the transition defense was better, not great, but but the transition defense, the kick chase, I think is getting better. Um, yeah. But the fact that there were teams that, you know, we've, we talked about Atlanta. We talked about Seattle, right? Be- beating Utah, like, like, well, I think came close to Utah. You know, we we talked about wow, these guys actually had tactical kicking games that they used, and that's the first time. It's always been the knock against MLR that, like, you know, if you look at really high level kicking, like high level rugby, there's a lot of kicking, and there was more kicking in the MLR this year than I think than we've had before. So, that's my final surprise. Um, all right, news and notes. I'm not sure what Dan calls it, James, but um, I'll quickly go through this. So we've already talked about the Houston Sabercats. They appointed um, Gerhard Pote-Human as head coach. He worked with um, Maya for the Bulls. I think they won Super Rugby in 2007. Were you playing then? No, that was before me. It was a long time ago. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Like Honestly, I feel like 2010 was two years ago. So we had to... <laughs> <laughs> like, like probably the uh, um, the the big signing that we talked about was Marcel Bracky, who was signed by yeah. Austin um, from the Western Force. Was he? Yep. He was at the Western Force, right? right. And so, yeah. um, and uh, wing center played mainly wing for the Western Force, played center for the U.S. But like, like you said, huge. I think pickup for for Austin there, um, and I guess could be partnered up with a couple of other U.S. players in that back line. Um, there was a trade. Dallas got Michael Matarazzo from ATL. Expansion and... draft, so not, not a trade. Oh, sorry. From the expansion draft. Got it. Thank you. Um, and then there were a bunch of extensions by Toronto. Um you know, including, I think, Will Kelly, that I thought was uh, an important pickup for them. But, you know, Toronto seemed to be doing things the way that they normally do them. So um, let's talk a little bit about Inside the Ruck before we head off. Are you guys recording in the off-season? What's your schedule? I'm on baby duty for a little bit, so I probably won't have too much permission. I know Pat's keen to get back in the studio again. You can't keep him quiet and muzzled for this long, so... Um, he's busy though right now with the yeah was it the PR sevens coming yep. up here soon so he's and that's busy, in so. Nashville yes yeah so it's in Nashville so it's the so there's a whole bunch of like you know um, 
different codes of union going on, right? So the PR7s, um, which is, uh, um, I think this is a pilot, right? Um, where they're gonna be uh, four, four men's teams, four women's teams, I believe. I think so. In, in, in Nashville. So they'll be playing a tournament there looking to create a bit of a circuit if that goes well. So you'll see a lot of the Olympic stars and probably some MLR stars going on there. Um, rumor is there's a World Tens that's going to be happening again this fall. Again, we might see some MLR again, men, men and women. And they just came out with Rugby 12. So I think we had fives, indoor fives. We have sevens. We have tens. And now we have 12s. Sign me up for the rugby twos, just two on two backyard style, little end zone. We just go. Is, it your, is it your knee that, that's screwed? Oh, yeah, is it, it is. But you're, like, there, you're kind of like Roy Kent, right? You walk and you've got to, like, we'll go back to Ted Lasso. And every yeah, now exactly. and then, like, it goes out, you've got to slap it and put it back in. Is that, is that like your deal? It's like exactly two on two. Don't you want more people and less space? <laughs> So, I mean, I mean, I mean, this this World Twelves is a little nuts for me. I mean, they're talking about two hundred fifty million dollars. They want it to be like the IPL, and World Rugby's like, yeah, when's that going to fit? I mean, I mean, the challenge is that if you want to be within the World Rugby um, ecosystem, which means you want to have access to the current players that play for their national teams and in the different leagues around the world, you, you know, World Rugby has a monopoly. If you want to play outside of that, which is kind of what the IPL did. So the IPL and cricket basically said, you know what, we're just going to run this and we're going to pay so much money that players are going to want to come and we'll let them negotiate with their teams, their unions, fundamentally, um, see what they could do. So maybe World 12 is going to do that. It's just, it's just, you know, they're going to throw a million dollars at you know, some players and be like, come and play for six weeks and only a million bucks. And you can talk to you know, New Zealand or England yeah. Scotland or France and work out how to get released to that. Cause that's kind of what the IPL did. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So there's, there's a lot, there's actually a lot of rugby going on. So we said there's the world cup qualifiers coming up this weekend, um, USA, Canada. So lots to, lots to keep us going. So thank you, James Patterson for filling in ably, maybe too ably uh, for Dan Powell. <laughs> Enjoyed we, it, mate. Yeah. We, we wish Dan Powell all the best. We hope he, he, he gets better soon. And um, please feel free to leave us a um, uh, please leave us a review on iTunes. If you can leave a review, that helps other people find us. Um, and every now and then when we remember, we'll check and we'll potentially read it out. We don't often remember. So, but when we do, we will. So I think that's it. So thank you, um, James Patterson and uh, Aaron Castro for our producer. And we appreciate all the listeners listening and we'll see you next time. Episode one of, uh, we need damn power. Episode 104 of MLR Kickoff brought to you by shopmlr.com powered by the rugby shop.